some of you have heard me talk about this first part before, but when I was writing my dissertation, um, I read a really great book, and it was by a guy named Robert Sapolsky, and it was called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. By the way, one of the best titles of a book I think I've ever heard. Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And he talks about stress. The whole book is about stress and how we deal with stress. And, uh, and so he, he looks at zebras. And it could be any animal because all animals do this. But he, he talks about zebras on the Serengeti and how they respond to stress. Okay, what, what a zebra naturally does, any animal naturally does, is when they think there's a danger. So they think they smell a lion off in the distance. They think they hear a lion their body goes into a stress response. Sometimes we call it fight or flight. Okay, but it's where your body gets ready to deal with a danger. And it happens not just when a zebra senses a danger, but also when they think another zebra gets a senses a danger, right? It's communal. So if one zebra thinks it hears something, then all the zebras start going into the same bodily response. So the first thing a zebra will do is it'll mobilize the stuff in the body that it needs to survive. Basically, a bunch of chemicals get released into the bloodstream. Blood pressure increases in the zebra to get the chemicals where it needs to be. And also so that the blood is flowing. So that if they have to run from a zebra, they can run faster and they can run longer because the blood pressure is now up. Memory is increased. So the zebra can remember, okay, where are the safe places I can run to? Uh, how to avoid, you know, i got to remember how I avoided getting eaten by a lion in the past. The zebra's senses are increases, so it notices anything. Okay, so that, so that any sound, it's, it's like hyper-attuned to whatever's going on in the environment. The slightest change in smell, sound, vision. Okay, the, the, the zebra just goes into this acutely aware of any potential threat that's in the area. And then their perception of pain is also blunted. So they can't feel much pain anymore. We're just going to survive. At the same time, uh, the book talks about how zebras shut down a bunch of other systems in the body. All kinds of long-term expensive building projects is how the book calls it, right? Okay, so when a, when a zebra's under stress, it doesn't digest anymore, okay? It doesn't heal anymore. It doesn't really learn any new things. Even though the mind is really hypersensitive, it's not into real, a lot of cognitive thinking. Okay, zebras aren't learning. They're not thinking Okay, they're not real complex in their thinking. It is just fight or flight. Digestive is, in, is inhibited. Tissue repair limited. Sex drive decreases. Immunity is inhibited. Basically, what the, what the zebra does is shuts down anything that's not going to help me survive a lion right now. Okay? And so there's this real natural process so that they can focus on the problem. And then what a zebra does is when the stress is over, they chill out. Okay? They eat some grass, they hang out, the regular system sort of restore, and a zebra goes back to normal functioning, picks back up all of those problems, or all of those normal ways of being, gets rid of all the toxic chemicals, they relax, and then go back to normal. See, a stress response is totally natural. You have to do it so that your body can survive stresses. But what happens for people is we do the same thing, even though there's no lion, your body doesn't know that that mean boss that you have is not a lion. Okay, your body reacts to any stress like it's a lion. Okay, and it basically takes you through the same process. Okay, so when you're under stress, your digestion is messed up. Okay, your healing goes poorly. 
your, uh, your growth. They've shown studies where kids that are in abusive homes are delayed in their growth. Okay, they're physically a lot of times smaller and more delayed than other kids because of the stress won't let them grow properly. Okay, you don't have good immunity. You can't heal well. You might feel sick. You get sick easier when you're stressed. Anybody else feel this? Now, here's the challenge is zebras go through this whole process and then they chill out and relax and go back to normal. But what people often do is they just get more stressed tomorrow. Okay? And they get more stressed after that. And so what the book was saying is, do you know, in, in zebras, they don't get ulcers. Okay, they don't get digestive problems. They don't get heart failure. Not a lot of zebras with diabetes out there, everybody. But, but what happens is human beings don't do the whole process. They never relax on the other end of it. Is this making sense to everybody? And so all that stuff that your body naturally does to deal with stress ends up harming your body because you never let it go back to normal. It's supposed to do that stuff, everybody. You're supposed to be able to survive. But you're also supposed to be able to relax on the other end of it and have your body come back to normal. But when we're always stressed and we're going from stress to stress to stress, then, then we always miss out. And the book doesn't talk at all about the spiritual lives of zebras. Okay, I'm not sure zebras have a real spiritual life. But I'm willing to bet that under stress, a zebra does not have a real strong spiritual life either. I'm willing to bet that because that's one of the things that often goes in my life. When I'm stressed, the spirit, it's not like, when, when I'm stressed, it's not like I'm like, I need to pray more. It's often, uh, it's often unfortunately, that I pray less, that I study less. Time with Jesus is one of the first things that goes out the window, along with digestion and a whole bunch of other important things when I'm stressed. And so what we have to learn how to do is slow down and detox. This is how my teacher, Len Sweet, often says it. He says, we have to come apart so we don't come apart. I love that. We have to come apart from the world so we don't come apart at the seams. Okay? And so often we don't do that. But it's funny, this guy, Jesus, that we're supposed to be modeling our lives after, used to do it all the time. That's how he starts his ministry, right? Jesus begins his ministry with 40 years in the wilderness, by himself, praying. Mark 1.35, it says, And rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went outside to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5 says, But now, even more, the report of him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to heal and to be healed for, of their affirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. So, so what Luke reports is, the more crazy he would get, the more Jesus would go pray. The more crazy he would get, the more stressed, the more everybody wanted to talk to Jesus, the more he would bail to pray. On the hardest night of Jesus' life, when he was going to be betrayed and he was going to be crucified, where did he go? He went to the garden. He went to the garden to pray. And let me just say this as clearly as I can. If Jesus Christ felt the need when dealing with the struggles of this world to pull away sometimes to pray, I don't know who you think you are if you don't think you need to do that. Right? If Jesus needs to do it, we probably need to do it more than Jesus did it. And his inclination was to do it a lot. To pull away to pray. To come apart so you don't come apart. So how do you do this? 
Well, over the years, the church has developed these things called spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. What the church said was we need to set up some things that we can do to help us to connect with God in our daily life. And so there are all kinds of spiritual practices, okay, things that you do to connect, to abide with God. And, and so the church developed these, and, and, and we're supposed to be sort of learning and being studying them, except a lot of times we don't. So next week we're going to talk about, for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about one every week. Next week we're talking about Sabbath, which is this very biblical one of taking set aside time every week to do this. Today we're going to talk about silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. These, this is something that the church developed to help us be able to connect with Christ as we went about our lives. Now, when I say silence and solitude, you think, well, that's two things. Yeah, the church has always sort of talked about it as silence and solitude, like kind of one or like one plus. That These sort of go together. You have silence and you have solitude. And, and together they sort of form this practice of getting silence and solitude so let's think about them first as a combined thing. What is silence and solitude? Well, at the beginning of, uh, of our worship service in our call to worship, we made reference to Psalm 46. This is, the, this is what the text says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love that line. Be still and know that I am God. Now, now you can read that two different ways. Okay? One way, and I think probably fits the text, is God is like, hey, sit still for a second. I'm going to tell you something. Okay? Sit down, be quiet, and know that I'm God. Okay? Like, in, this, in the whole of that chapter, there's a lot of panic going on. And God's saying, hey, slow down, chill out, and know that I'm God. But I wonder if it's actually also part of a formula. I wonder if one of the keys to knowing that God is God, really believing that God is who he says he is, and really believing and putting God in this proper place in your life, is being still. Sometimes I think we've got to be still to really know that God is God. And when I talk to people who are doubting whether God exists, I always want to know, like, well, how still have you been recently? Right? Maybe, maybe you don't have a problem with faith at all. You have a problem with stillness. If you would just be still, you might know who God is and where God belongs in your life. That maybe part of the, the tool is, maybe part of the trick is, when you're still, you can know who God is. And I think that is what silence and solitude is all about. It's slowing it down. Stilling your heart and your mind so that you can know who God is and therefore know who you are really meant to be. So silence and solitude are about stilling, connecting with God and figuring out who you are in Christ. So let's talk about those as two separate elements. One is silence. Let's be honest. We live in a really loud world. When's the last time you were silent? Like when is the last time you really actually were in silence? No noise, no engine running in the background, no music, no advertisement, TV is off, screens are off. When's the last time you were really in some semblance of silence? 
<laughs> right? We are awkward with silence in our own lives. We don't even like silence in conversations. This was a funny thing about my wife, Mandy, and I, when we got married. Um, Mandy really didn't like silence in conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? When there's like a lull in a conversation and no one's saying anything. How many of you hate that? Do you, uh, you hate the silence? You like, you're like, somebody needs to say something, right? Like, we can't even take silence in our own conversations. Okay? Let alone, like, like, 30 seconds of silence for us is painful. We avoid silence like crazy. It's not just that we can't find it. We actually avoid it. We feel, that we feel the need to fill it. Like, what is up with that? What are we so scared of in silence? And we live in this very audible world with conversations and music and sports, politics, radios in our cars. And if you think just not about audible noise, but think about just how noisy and busy our world is. Okay, think, think about all the stuff that's happening, everything that's fighting for your attention. And companies are paying millions of dollars to try to capture and keep your attention right now. Okay, millions and billions of dollars to try to keep your attention. Do you know that, do you know that human at- attention span is so small right now that we're, we're rivaling goldfish? We can stay focused for about eight seconds. I mean, it is crazy how we can't focus on anything because everything is trying to capture our attention. I dare you. I dare you on the way home today. Some of you live pretty close to this church. Count how many signs you pass on your way home. I don't, road signs don't even have to count. We can scrap mailboxes too. I'm talking actual signs trying to get your attention about politics or business. Count them on your way home. Some of you live three or four minutes from here and you're going to have to count by fives or tens. To keep up with all the signs, all the things trying to vie for your attention. Okay? And now, when you watch your TV, not only are you watching what you're watching, but now on the bottom, it's scrolling other news, right? And on the side, here's what you're going to be watching next. Okay? And then they did this weird thing where you can watch two football games at once. Okay? So you can be watching another game in a game. Like you're watching eight channels at the same time, everybody. How, how crazy can we get? Everything's fighting for our attention. Move on. Huh? <laughs> okay. The, it's, it's, it's true, isn't it? And it's not just the world. We're scared of silence. We didn't even like when I paused. Right? We, we don't like silence. Maybe, what is it? Is it that we're afraid of what we might think and what we might, like, what are we running from that we feel the need to have so much loudness, so much volume, so much distraction that we got to have screens everywhere. And we wonder why we, why we have doubts about our faith. And we wonder why Christians look like the world. They don't look like, like anything like Jesus, but they're never still. So how are they going to know that God is God? Forget all the world, too. My mind is plenty loud enough. Anybody else feel that? Okay? Like, my mind goes and goes and goes. I don't even need all the outside distractions. This is the hardest part about silence for me isn't finding silence. Actually, everybody, i got to confess something. I'm one of those people who love silence. Okay? I, silence, solitude, this is, my, this is up my alley. I love this. The problem is in here. Internal silence, that's a whole nother thing. Like trying to figure out how to be quiet up here. That's different. 
There's this great story in the Bible where Elijah is up on a mountain and he's depressed. He's been going through some real struggles and God decides he's going to appear to him. Do you remember this story? So he, he t- kind of tucks him in the rock and, and, he, and then God goes by as this strong wind that's shaking the mountain. Rocks are falling everywhere. But, but God's not in the wind. And then there's fire. Or then there's an earthquake that shakes the whole mountain. But God's not in the It's not an earthquake. And then there's fire that comes tearing down through the mountain, burning anything up that's not stone. But God's not in the fire. But then suddenly there's what? A still, small voice. A whisper. And Elijah is terrified of the whisper. And when he actually hears God's presence in the whisper, man, there's a lot of power in that. If God's voice is a still small voice, if God's voice is a whisper, how can you hear it in this loud world? Only if you get silent. Only if you find quiet. You can't hear a whisper after a touchdown, right? You can't hear a whisper when everybody's yelling, when everything's going on. No, you've got to find some quiet. And silence then is often paired with solitude. Solitude means being alone. Okay? It means getting by yourself. And often, we're not by ourselves. If we are by ourselves, we struggle with it. We're terrified by it. But I want to be clear here that silence is not isolation. Okay? It's not just isolating yourself so that you're totally by... Think of it not as isolation, but as insulation. Okay? Think of it as, if I've got coffee in my cup, I don't want the temperature of the room to impact too much the temperature of the coffee. And so I want some kind of insulated cup to protect me a little bit from the temperature of everything going outside. Okay? Okay? Solitude is not isolation. You need community. You need people. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. But, but, but solitude says, sometimes I have to pull away from the world so that the world isn't setting the temperature of my coffee cup. Okay, so the world isn't setting my spiritual temperature. I've got to get a little bit away, a little bit of separation to be by myself. Be, be by myself. Okay, like in the life of Jesus, it's often connected with nature. I've got to get out in nature. I've got to be pulled into private space for prayer. I've got to quiet all these other voices. I've got to get away from friends and family and, and distractions so that I'm just with myself. And to be honest, sometimes that's a little terrifying, particularly at first. But i got to do it because I want to get down to where it's just me and Jesus. And so i got to get down to where all those other distractions start to fade away. And then, boom, it's me and Jesus. And I can actually take a look at who God is and who I am supposed to be. You take a walk. You leave all the world behind so that you can come back to who you really, really are. Sorry, these medicines that I'm on are drying me out here. The goal then of silence and solitude is to come away from the world, to be quiet, to come apart so you don't come apart. And it's one of the key elements of the spiritual life. It's hard to follow Jesus if you can't figure out how to do this, at least sometimes. Because you've got to get out of the craziness to actually connect with who Jesus is. We've got to come back to our center, settle down all the noise, and connect with God. <coughs> Now, how do you do this? That's, that's, that's the bigger question. There's a, there's a little booklet that goes along with this study. It's in the back. If you haven't picked it up, there's, a, there's copies of it on the table. You don't have to pay for those. We just printed those. But it's, there, it's called How to Unhurry. 
And each week it gives you four exercises that go along with whatever we're talking about. So this week there's four exercises related to silence and solitude. And I dare you to do them. I dare you to do them. Pick out that book and try these four exercises this week to, uh, to just try on uh, silence and solitude a little bit. But, but you just got to get started with it. Let me, let me give you just a couple of tips for trying silence and solitude. Again, let me, let me say, silence and solitude I like. Okay, I, I, when, when we get into COVID, everybody's like, oh, we need social distancing. I was like, perfect. That was fine with me. I like social, I've been social distancing since I was like 10. Like, I get it. Okay. Um, just other disciplines that are not as strong for me. Sabbath is really hard for me. Okay, Sabbath rests. We're going to talk about next week. That was really hard for me. Science of Solitude, I actually like these ones. Okay, so you're going to find some of these disciplines connect with you better than others. And don't let that stop you, everybody. Okay, because it's important to know spiritually the, the things that help you in your faith. But also, sometimes the things that are harder for you are actually the things that help you more. Okay, so, so give it a shot. But, but I'll say a, a couple of things for you. One, take, take, it, in, take it in stride. Take it, take it in little chunks that you can actually manage. Okay, if you're a person that really struggles with silence, okay, taking three hours of silence is going to kill you. Okay, you, you need to sort of ease, like dip your toe in, get in a little bit slow. Say, okay, for five minutes, for ten minutes. Okay, for my, for my drive to work, I'm not going to listen to radio. I'm just going to be in quiet. Okay, find little ways to get yourself started. Silence and solitude are often connected with nature and moving. So, so let me suggest to you that going for a walk in the park is one of the best ways to get started with this. Okay? Uh, whenever people think spiritual disciplines, they tend to think very, very holy things. Like you like, put on sackcloth and ashes and you sit on your knees for four hours in prayer. Um, that's miserable. Like If you want to do that, you could be a monk. It's fine. But, but I don't think they have to be miserable. Okay? That sounds like torture. Um, but, but going for a walk in the park, that I can get behind, right? My mentality about it has to, has to be there. Let me give you another uh, example of this. Is, um, when I was taught prayer as a kid, I was taught you're supposed to bow your head and close your eyes and pray. Okay, how many of you were taught that? Okay, here's the problem. When I close my eyes, my mind is like, it's on, let's go. Okay? I don't like to close my eyes in prayer. And I remember at one point somebody was teaching prayer and they said, hey, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't close your eyes. Just stare 45 degree angle down and it will help your mind not wander so much. That was brilliant. That was great advice for me. Don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. If you're walking on a trail, you sort of have to. Okay? But like when I'm doing joys and concerns and I'm praying over stuff, I have to have my eyes open. But that's naturally what I would do anyway. Because when I close my eyes, this gets more, I'm actually more silent up here if I open my eyes. See, so you got to try what works for you. Um, another thing on silence and solitude that the church has found, and you can like this or not like this, but early in the morning tends to work better. Okay? If Jesus is the last thing on your schedule, he may not make the schedule, everybody. There is something about morning. There is something about getting up in the morning to spend time with Jesus first that makes a difference. An early morning walk is way different than an evening walk with God. It just is. Now, it happens all kinds of ways. Jesus one time spent all night in prayer because he was really, really busy and it was the only time he could get it. Okay, so he spent all night one night in prayer. Um, but a lot of times it says he would get up in the morning 
to pray. There's something about mornings that's helpful. Setting modest goals. Here's the other thing I'll tell you. If you're going to get into silence and solitude, keep a notebook handy. Okay? One of the things that happens, does this happen to anybody else? You go to lay down at night to go to bed, and then suddenly five things you were supposed to remember come to your brain. Does this happen to anybody? Because here's what happened. You, you told your brain, hey brain, remind me about this. You said, hey, i got to remember this. And then whenever you get quiet, your brain's like, okay, now's the time. Now is the time to do what you told me to do. Here's the thing I have to remember. So here's what I do when I, when I go to do silence and solitude. When I go to have a prayer time, I have a notebook with me or index card with me. So when something pops in my head i got to remember to do, I just write it down and I'm back. Okay? If you don't do that, then you're going to worry about the thing. And you're going to worry about remembering that thing. And you're never going to be able to stay in silence very long. So I would say just write it down and get back into it. So doing it with a notebook handy so you can write stuff down is really helpful. And then utilize whatever work opportunities you can. Could be driving to work. Um, one of my great silence and solitude moments has a bunch of white noise. It's called the tractor. Okay? I love to mow the grass. Nobody bothers me. Okay? There's, there's a lot of noise, but it's all white noise. And so it's not that big a deal. So find your specific spots. The point is to be still and know that God is God. You've got to find that time. You've got to find that silence. When's the last time you really found silence? And solitude. Because I want to say this to you. I think God is whispering to you right now. And there is great power in that whisper. Okay, when Elijah heard the whisper, he, it terrified him. It terrified him when he heard the whisper. Not the fire. Not the earthquake. But when he heard that whisper, man, was there power in that whisper. And I think in our lives there's power in the whisper. But we've got to quiet down to hear it, everybody. We've got to create that space to hear it. So may you be still. And know that God is God. Amen.